fine. Cool. Yeah, I've listened to a few, and then I went back and I was watching a few more before um, doing this just to kind of see the format. And um, But it, they're just really interesting, the different people and just the different subjects. And it's like creating a really cool archive of Carbondale in a way, which I like as a librarian. Yeah. So <laughs> <laughs> I'm not an archivist, but... So have have you, have you always, have you always been interested in the work that you do now? Have you gone through school and like had a professional aim to be in the, to be in the work that you're doing at the library? Um, not really. Um, I kind of have had a lot of different jobs and, um, I would say becoming a librarian was my career choice eventually, (laughs) Uh but it took, it was kind of a a long and winding road to get there. So um, I actually just got my MLIS degree completed in 2019. Mm-hmm. So um, yeah, and I, I graduated college in 2003. So there's a... <laughs> <laughs> and I all also, see where it lands. Yeah, I, I um, attempted a graduate degree in between there that I didn't finish. It just didn't turn out to be the right fit for me. So um, yeah, it was definitely... Uh, kind of a journey to get to get yeah. here but now that I am it feels right so yeah but the specific kind of job that I'm doing at the library as well I wasn't really planning on doing that exactly uh-huh. I thought um, my degree was ending about the same time that our children's librarian was planning to quit mm-hmm. or retire I guess so I thought well I'll just apply for her job we want to stay in Carbondale and you know, there's not that many openings here in the library. Mm-hmm. So a, a position happened to open up earlier and I wasn't quite ready because I was still in school and I had a lot going on in my home life. And um, but I just decided to go for it because I it sounded fun and I, I knew I wanted to be here and working in the library. So nice. Yeah, so it just has kind of worked out for me in that way. Well, and I'm, I'm, I'm glad it, I'm glad it has, and I will and I will give you my personal reason for that after the introduction. <laughs> uh, <laughs> where I'm glad that this has worked out uh, for episode 62 of the WTF Carbondale podcast, where we talk to interesting people about their interesting lives and tie it all back to this little old place we call home, Carbondale, Illinois. And for this episode, I have Jennifer Robertson, who. Uh, is interesting to me because you're the person, like I said before the podcast, that is that has created more digital media during <laughs> this pandemic than I have. And I must tip my hat <laughs> and, and just really share with you how impressed uh, I am about wow. that. But also because um, you, know, you were talking about, uh, you know, finding your way through work and eventually landing in a career and whatever. And I can't tell you how many times I've delivered Chinese food to your guys' house. I've just always <laughs> been appreciative of like, answering the door quickly and always being cool about like writing down a decent tip and like you guys are just you're good customers and I appreciate that having been somebody who's had the opportunity to give you uh provide customer service for you guys that's true I forgot about that that's funny um I'm glad we are good tippers at this point (laughs) (laughs) that would be a really bad start (laughs) Uh, yeah no 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 it's no it's yeah it's uh it's good no I think so and then yeah well and the other thing that interests me, and I, and I promise I won't get off too much on on Malcolm, but he works out at Emac, right? Like he's he does. the engineering type. Yeah. Guy. Well, I told Malcolm I was going to talk about him. I'm sure because oh. he's an interesting guy. Yeah. So. <laughs> <laughs> well, and then and then I just had um, uh, 
Matt, a, one of the other engineering type guys over there. I, okay. I, don't, I don't actually really know anybody over there outside of just like some names that, that mm -hmm. float through. But uh, Matt, who is my new neighbor across the street, he says that he works at EMAC and does some sort of engineering stuff. So I'm sure it's a small enough building that there's some just some little more connection going on. Oh, yeah, I'm sure. I mean, they all they all know each other, definitely. And um, Malcolm's been there for a, a long time, I think since they were just getting started with Emacs. So it, it was it, when when Matt was talking to me, I mean, you know, I've never really like asked you, hey, what do you guys do out there? But he was like, yeah, man, we just uh, we make, you know, these little these, you know, little, uh, uh, you know, essentially computer boards, you know, and he was like, oh, we do you know, uh, card counting machines for Las Vegas. Like, you know, people that'll run stuff at a, at a, at a blackjack table. I was like, Oh, okay. That's, I guess the thing that needs to have a business to support. So right. glad it's here. Yeah. Um, yeah, they make all sorts of stuff and they were considered essential during the pandemic because mm -hmm. they make something for the transportation industry, maybe like toll booth or just something. I really don't know the details, <laughs> but, <laughs> but yeah, so he was going to work every day during the pandemic from the beginning. So he would wear two masks and, um, he has to wear like some sort of magnifier on his head and he also wears glasses so mm -hmm. like the poor guy <laughs> his poor head <laughs> he's, he's like an inspector gadget just from the neck up yes exactly <laughs> oh that's hilarious so did you did you guys meet in in carbondale or did you guys did you guys come here together or how no we didn't i actually came here about 15 years ago um with another person who was in a, a different relationship. Um, I lived in Texas, San Antonio, Texas, mm -hmm. and um, he came here for a job and I decided to come here the following year and, and go back to school. So yeah, that relationship didn't last, but I just really enjoyed being in Carbondale and I met Malcolm Gosh, it's probably almost 10 years ago at this point. Um, we were introduced through a mutual friend, Greg Edwards. I don't know Do Greg. Do you know Greg? Um, well, he also works at EMAC, and he was in the Woodbox Gang. Um, that makes sense. Yeah. So he's a musician <laughs> as well. And um, I think, yeah, it, at some point he introduced us at PKs, and we just started um, started dating and hanging out a lot and yeah it's just it was just a nice like easy relationship from the beginning yeah. so yeah it, it's been really good um we've now been married for almost or for eight years and our son is eight years old so that happened fairly quickly <laughs> <laughs> but it wasn't something that um I mean I don't want to speak for him but I know uh, that I felt like okay about it just right away it, yeah. it just felt like we would be together for a long time so um when we found out about our son we just like okay we're not living together we need to get a house <laughs> so we bought a house and um yeah we've just been together since then so. you guys have done really nice with that house too like the, oh, the little improvements but... over over time and it really it just it sticks out on the block as like a some some effort has gone in here <laughs> yeah yeah well I mean it was a cute house to begin with yeah. so I will give credit um we bought it from an architect at SIU nice. um Brian Garecki so uh 
he had done some improvements and but yeah we definitely like Malcolm's really good about keeping things nice and he yeah. does a lot of yard work and like maintenance and I like to plant flowers and <laughs> yeah so it's fun I don't know if we'll stay in that same house forever we're kind of outgrowing it mm-hmm. <laughs> but um it's that's, been that's the reality of it though. it I mean, is that's, the that's reality kind of a cool feeling to have to be like whoa there's a there's a there's a chance to move and do something else and to it's an awful yeah yeah and we we bought it when you know i was pregnant we were expecting our son but it was like pre-children mm-hmm. so kind of what you what you want like before you have kids and what you want after it mm-hmm. changes a little bit and you have no idea because you just you don't know what it's going to be like so yeah. yeah it's definitely been an adventure my um so it's it's funny the the house that i've got was a house my grandpa built in in the 60s and you know raised two kids through so my wife and and our kids is kind of like a perfect little fit it's like oh somebody already planned this house out just right for four people to be just close enough to really annoy each other but just far away they don't kill each other <laughs> <laughs> that sounds perfect because they say if you have too big of a house like you don't get to spend that time together yep. and that's important too so you yeah. don't want to each have your own wing and not be able to ever you know just have that that family time and yeah and actually we got a letter not that long ago saying that our house could possibly be on the historic register but that we would either be awesome or a pain and i, don't I know, know i don't know we've been kind of like should we should we i don't know we just kind of have the letter sitting there <laughs> we haven't really done anything like what does that mean so but it's kind of exciting to think about um i think it's been redone quite a few times so i don't i have no idea but yeah. You're just like, I'm just living in it, guys. I'm just yeah, we're just living here. Does that mean we wouldn't be able to, like, I I don't know, redo stuff or, yeah, so. Change things. Does it become, you know, oh, all of a sudden you guys try and sell it and go to another house. Now it's a whole different, you know, somebody has to agree to something just to buy the house and da-da-da-da. Yeah, right. I, I, I'm interested in, you know, I've, I've, I've texted a couple folks recently. And I just I haven't heard quite, quite back yet. But just, like, figuring out, okay, was is, is Carbondale's housing market, from an owner buyer seller standpoint getting more stable as the rest of the country is like going off the walls yeah. from like housing prices and right it seems like it's been pretty wacky here too i don't yeah. know things have been selling really fast and the prices have been a little higher and i don't know i mean i i we were considering moving sometime this year like for a while mm-hmm. but now i think we might wait and just let things kind of calm down cuz there's oh, yeah. I think you can sell something pretty easily, but I'm not sure about buying, <laughs> finding something to buy. Right. So you don't want to be in that situation. Uh, <laughs> I, I just, it's it's weird, even even feeling like an adult enough to have you know the the in depth conversations about property now, and you're like, wait, I'm not even supposed to own things. How am I here right now? What is a mortgage even? Refinance. You know, four point five percent, but my we could be at three point two. What's going on here? I know <laughs> it happens quickly, and it is kind of disturbing, really. Yes. Yeah. How how is it? I'm it. Does pa- parenting, uh, you know, through school from the perspective of somebody that spends a lot of time in a library as an archivist, or sorry, not as an archivist, but like with an interest in uh, all of the different components of. A, a library that seems like it would translate to school. Does that, do you feel like that, that influences your, your parenting and the way that, that you engage with, uh, with your son about learning? Definitely. Um, we are kind of a homeschooling family, even though we both work full time. So we can't really 
completely homeschool, Mm -hmm. but our son goes to like a little, I guess they're calling them micro schools. Mm -hmm. And it's kind of a homeschooling co-op here in town. Really? And it's taught at this woman's house. um, And she's a Waldorf teacher. And so she's able to teach the way that I would want to do it Mm -hmm. if I were home, which part of me would love to be home, but I also want a career and I need a career. And, you know, I, yeah. So we kind of found a way to make that work. Um, Yeah. So I'm always thinking about education and um, bringing home books and, you know, but we're, we, the way that our son is learning is very, um, it's experiential Mm -hmm. and it right now they're they've been completely outdoors for the past few months since they started back in person so Mm -hmm. he's spending like six hours a day learning outside (laughs) which is really cool but also I think kind of exhausting he gets home and he's just like ready for video games and to just hang out and so been I've been a little bit more okay with that and yeah but um I definitely think a lot about his education and you know it's it's hard to to make those decisions uh for your kids for sure because there's always like good choices or bad choices and you're missing out on something no matter what you decide to do so (laughs) (laughs) the truth i mean and and that's it you just got to kind of hope that your kids end up being you know the right little puzzle piece for the world around them to to fit into and you give them just enough skills that you hope that they can make it on their own (laughs) Right. Exactly. Exactly. So yeah, we've been, um, he's going to overnight summer camp for the first time this summer. At eight years old. That's a pretty big step. I know. <laughs> that, I mean, that's first, impressive. It's the first year they can go, um, at camp on the song. Uh, so, but I've heard from so many people how awesome it is. Yeah. And, and so I'm like, okay, we're, we're going to try it, but we've been kind of like helping him prepare mm-hmm. by, uh, I don't know, like <laughs> making him sleep in the backyard. No, <laughs> we don't make him sleep in the backyard, but normally he sleeps with white noise and we're uh-huh. like, oh no, what are we going to do about the white noise? Like we're going to have to. So he's been putting um, like cricket noises mm-hmm. <laughs> and sleeping with those. So I'm like, you know, this is awesome. He's really game to, to try new things and yeah. like to try to figure this out so that he'll be okay. And we're like preparing. So I think it's going to be okay. I just, this is, this is cool. Like I, I hadn't expected for the, the education question to open up to something (laughs) really so interesting, but that's like a big part of what these podcasts do is like, just uh, happen to stumble upon the questions that get to, um, you know, one of the real cool parts of somebody's life. Like how, how did you even get hooked up with this, this, you know, what you call a teaching co-op or, or. Right. Gosh, how did we get hooked up with it? Um, <laughs> he's been going there for a few years. Mm-hmm. So um, I know that they, they, like they've kind of popped up all over the place during the pandemic because mm-hmm. people were, you know, needing something for their kids to do that, you know, school was remote and everything. So um, I think I met her through another parent who was considering doing going to her and she was like this woman's amazing her name's Renee Schwartz and um, she's this Waldorf teacher and she's just you know doing this little school and um, you have to do it and I was like okay you know maybe so I went and I I went and talked to her and I don't think we ended up doing it that year I think uh, my son was only in Mm pre-k like pre-k age so he ended up going to the CDL 
for a year, the at SIU, the Child yep. Development Lab, yep. which was really cool. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it was a really neat experience. So I'm glad he got to do that. But the following year, we weren't sure what to do. And I'm not like anti um, public school by any means, but I, I also. I just like for kids to be able to have a lot of freedom mm-hmm. and um, being able to explore things at their own pace. As as parents, I, I would say that it's probably the best fit for parents like you and Malcolm to have a kid that's going to something that's a little bit more experiential and, and less structured and just like, you know, a, a letting them fall along the line where he where he feels like, ah, oh, the person that he's coming home at is home as may not necessarily be this structured thing that traditional public schools is going to turn them into, which is not necessarily what, you know, you guys are <laughs> would be all about, right? Right. That's true. That's true. And I personally felt kind of stifled by my education. Mm-hmm. It took me a really long time to actually enjoy learning. Yeah. And I, I love learning now. Like I would be in school constantly if I could, which is like kind of dorky, but whatever. It's just, you know, I love taking classes <laughs> yeah. and, but yeah, I really didn't for a long time. I just like hated. I, I didn't succeed, and I'm like, what? I don't understand why I wasn't succeeding at school. I just didn't like the structure, and mm-hmm. I think some people really need it, mm-hmm. and some people don't really thrive with it. So I think it's important just to to look at your child and see what they need. But I will say that that's kind of a privileged place to be as well to be able yeah. to make that kind of a choice, Absolutely. and and even to live in a place that has those kind of opportunities. Mm-hmm. So a Waldorf school in other cities is like, they're super expensive. Mm-hmm. So she works with people and it's like, you know, I mean, I'm not saying she doesn't charge enough money, but like <laughs> it's not $26,000 a year or something yeah. like You're it like, is in some other Cut that part out. Places. She's going to come back and raise everybody's rates after <laughs> She's this. Start be more. <laughs> yeah. But I mean, I just think, for him, it's a really good um, experience. And now he, some of his friends from other areas have started going there too. Mm-hmm. And that's another nice thing about Carbondale is that the community is, you know, small enough that he still has friends that go to all the all different schools. Yeah. And, you know, it doesn't really matter. They all get on and play video games together after school and they're all on the, which has just started during the pandemic as well because he's only eight but now he has like his own little phone and he facetimes people oh. i'm like oh my god you what guys have we went done? straight to the phone like well it's just for facetime okay while he's playing a video game but yeah i know <sighs> but i was he, otherwise he was asking to use mine all the time yeah. i was like i can't can't do this. I have to listen to my podcast. <laughs> <laughs> we just we just let the kids that like we just let them have tablets kind of for the first time outside of like a Kindle type yeah. device and and you know we're mulling over you know when when is the right time? It's like this is we're we're the first set of parents to really ever have to like gauge this level of like when do we allow our kids this next stage of electronics. Right. That is part of the fabric of society. <laughs> it is. It's really hard. I know. And I'm like, we. I think we just accidentally gave our eight-year-old a phone. Like, <laughs> I guess we did that, you know. But there are. It's very, very strict rules. And he has to. He borrows my tablet to play Minecraft on. It's got all. You know, everything's got all the parental controls and. Yeah. 
But yeah, it's been such a challenging year. He wasn't able to see friends, you know, so at least he was able to connect with people virtually, which is kind of what we all were doing. So I was like, well, I can't, I can't really, I want him to have friends. I want him to keep these connections (laughs) because little kids, if they don't see each other for a year, they Mm -hmm. might just forget all about each other. So yeah. Yeah. I mean, and it's, we've got, we've got a couple of the kids close friends that that's been exactly how it works right Mm -hmm. you know whereas you know i play Fortnite and mute it they play Fortnite and they are the chatterbox on the other side of it it's like this is their this is their social space to be in and it works well and it's why roblox is worth billions of dollars right exactly (laughs) exactly so i don't know it's definitely challenging to to figure out those guidelines well and that and that's you 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 gave the natural segue into the 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 personal reason why I was really excited to have this conversation, which was how how you and the library and you and eighteen other organizations right. <laughs> throughout town. I mean, you were you were pivotal in the truest sense of the word pivotal, where you were the the focal point for this activity and being able to put it all together. And I I guess first question would be. Um, did it, did it ever feel like it was too much at any point in time or did it all just feel like it was kind of a natural flow with people that you would have been working with in person anyway? Right. Um, no, it did not feel <laughs> like, well, it didn't feel like it was too much, but it mm-hmm. also didn't feel like supernatural. I mean, definitely the library director, Diana Brawley Sussman, mm-hmm. um, she got us going with that for sure. I mean, it was just, like, very overwhelming at first. Like, how do we do anything? You know, what do? how do I, like, my whole job is programming. Like, how do I do that now? Do I have Mm -hmm. to just start from scratch? Like, I had only been in my position for, it was, like, a year and a half maybe. Mm -hmm. So, like, I'm just getting the hang of it. Now I have to change everything. And (laughs) we're, like, doing these webinars on, like, virtual programming and how we can um, get started with that. But I'm also, at the time, you know, my 8-year-old is at home. We're foster parents, so we had a toddler in our home. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, so I'm taking care of these two kids that can't be at – at school or daycare at that Mm -hmm. time. And my first thought was not like, okay, how can I, it was just like, oh my God, how do we survive this? (laughs) Like, what do I do? But look, I was lucky in a sense as well, because I was able to be at home and, you know, to take care of them. So, I mean, that was just a huge deal to me to be able to be with them. Cause I'm not sure. I, I don't know what else I would have done at that point. It was just like, would have been a really hard decision. So I think Diana got started with, um, like she got us set up with with doing Zoom and everything. Like I had already done Zoom a lot Mm -hmm. in my past. My master's degree was basically um, virtual. Mm -hmm. So I had used Zoom a lot through that. So I was pretty familiar with it, but we kind of worked as a team mainly um, her and me and our teen and youth librarian, Elizabeth Hartman. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I love Elizabeth. Yeah, yeah, she's great. So um, she helped, I think she created the first like template that we used for um, like just organizing everything. Mm-hmm. We would, we would use it for almost every program. So we just kind of worked together to figure out the process of how we would 
would do these programs. And, and for a while we would have two people doing almost everything. Mm -hmm. So we would have, you know, cause people would ask us to do various things like slideshows and, you know, so just to have <laughs> two people, I mean, it's not that complicated, but yeah. you know, when you're trying to mess around with a bunch of stuff on the computer and, um, yeah, it can be a little bit stressful. So, but after a while, uh, I was definitely just comfortable enough to do most of the stuff by myself or quite a lot of it. Mm -hmm. And some of it, like the candidate forums that we helped with, I didn't want there to be a lot of extra people behind the scenes because mm -hmm. it was, you know, we wanted it to be easy for the candidates to be able to see what was happening with the timer and everything like that. So <laughs> I know all of the other interesting behind the scenes things that happened. Oh my God. I know. <laughs> I know. I'm not sure how easy that was. I know that we tried some different things. So it was all just like experimenting yeah. and seeing what worked. And, um, but I have to say, I, I've really enjoyed it partially because I was, I was tired. Like my creativity didn't feel like, like it was a lot to be thinking about COVID and worrying about it and what are the kids going to be doing. Mm -hmm. And we also, our foster son ended up reunifying with his family this oh. past year. So going through that process at the same time. So it was just like kind of stressful. So to have people saying, hey, we want to do this and we have it basically all pinned out. We just need your help to like organize it and uh -huh. make it happen. Like I got that, you know, that's, that's not <laughs> hard for me or stressful. It's like perfect. So I was like, Oh, I'm just, we're, we're able to have all this good content, like you were saying, and I'm not having to come up with all of the ideas. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and that's what people like miss on this. It's the execution stuff is, you know, manageable, right? Mm -hmm. It's all of the ancillary things that go into it and the, in the thought and like you said, the creativity, like you, you don't just wake up every day and the muse is there staring you in the face saying, here's a bunch of good ideas, go run with them. It's like, you gotta work for them. Right, exactly, exactly. So when I have like moments of creativity, I try to, I try to use that and write everything down and you know, <laughs> so that when I'm not feeling that way, I yeah. can like go back to that. But yeah, it was it was nice just to be able to to work with people on these different events and just to be a part of so many interesting programs this past year. So it was really fun. And I mean, we're still we're still doing it. It's definitely the summer is slowing down a little bit. I yeah. think um, people are kind of taking breaks with their organizations. And um, but yeah, it, it's just really fun. I've, I've enjoyed it thoroughly. And I think I've made a lot more connections and mm -hmm. met a lot more people this past year because of it. And yeah, people are like, why is her, why is she always in the middle of all this stuff? Like, <laughs> <laughs> well, because we're offering free help to people yeah. basically. So we were just, it was through word of mouth. People were just, you know, contacting us. What was the, what was the, do you recall the very first program that you guys went to digitally what the first thing was and kind of where also where that where that breakthrough point was where people started to realize oh we could go to the library and let me tell you hello jennifer how you yeah, doing <laughs> right um it wasn't until the like the summer i think um i'm not sure of the exact first one but i know that um nancy maxwell from carbondale united mm -hmm. and the women's center she was doing some, they were youth 
summits Mm -hmm. virtually Mm -hmm. and actually Liz Hartman was the one that took you know took those on and I think that's why she ended up creating that template that we used and um, so that might have been the first one that we did I think Um, but there were there were maybe a few other things um, during that time but really it was the fall when things started to get busier and Mm -hmm. The League of Women Voters approached me about doing the forums, and I I actually emailed Gail Clam to see like how did how did you guys hear about it like <laughs> how did that come about because I knew I was going to be coming here and I was like I really don't remember at all how mm-hmm. that happened <laughs> and she was like oh I think we were doing a meeting and we were we were just wondering about how we could do it virtually and. Um, we were thinking about the city, like, could we go through the city of Carbondale to do it? And then we thought, what about the library? And then I called you and, you know, so <laughs> the rest was history. Oh, so, yeah. Yeah. So um, that, w- that was pretty neat to do, be a part of those. I'm interested in politics. And so it was fun to get that behind the scenes glimpse of something that normally I wouldn't have been a part of. And yeah. Yeah. Hey, now, now, you know, future moving forward, find yourself the, the, the dedicated moderator of city politics for the next, you know, decade or two. If it just happens to be a fit, you never know. See right. where it goes. No. Yeah, maybe. I don't know. I think I'm, I'm usually more comfortable behind the scenes than Looking the buttons um, and making sure who's up where. Right. Exactly. Yeah. So I could be, yeah, backstage being like, it's your turn or, um, yeah, I'm really hoping that we can help make some events like virtual like it would be really nice to continue doing some things in like a hybrid mm-hmm. model yeah um i don't think we used to really do anything virtually through the library so well maybe occasionally i don't know i just feel like the last year has been like a million years and i can't remember anything before <laughs> no, no, it's, it so. it's wiped the slate clean for everybody <laughs> yeah what what i'm what i'm interested to to see uh, just just to see if it if it happens this way is to get get virtual activity going with an in-person audience and then see does that audience then act as its own mechanism to distribute the the virtual activity they're attending in person right like if you had um, you know, one of the one of the indie pop-up lenses where you know you've got some speakers that are attending in person. Does that crowd of thirty people there down in the down in the center of the library, uh, you know, when the when the event goes live for the discussion part, share that themselves and say, hey, I'm here in person, check it out. And does that act as its own like filter into um, the the uh, the community and 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 audience at at large? And that's. I don't have a hypothesis for if it works or if it doesn't yet, but I think I'm going to try it out here and, and hope that you guys try it out there. And we see mm-hmm. a couple other folks around, around town, around the region, continue to do that and see if that, that model sticks. Cause I think it, especially for a, for a, uh, you know, area like ours that uh, is a little off the beaten path, right? It's, it's different if this activity happens in the city where that kind of stays core to that physical place. But here are we able to reach out more simply because there's not as many people here and there are more folks elsewhere that may want to participate in this activity virtually. Right, yeah, definitely. I am. Um, I wrote a grant um, this a few months ago um, and actually received it. And part of what the grant, well, it's not a huge grant, but um, I, 
I wrote in it that I wanted to use some of the money for um, equipment for creating hybrid events. So mm -hmm. I'm still kind of researching what that would look like and how we could make that happen. We're still doing like only very small in-person events at the library, but mm -hmm. things are changing quickly. So who knows? Like it makes planning very hard, but I do think that having a component of, you know, making an event virtual, it is, it is really good. And, and I think in our region, it was quite popular. Mm -hmm. I heard yesterday from someone who was a part of the Neighborhood Alliance meeting. It was so good. You, I mean, it was so smooth. It was smoother than most of the in-person oh. meetings of, of the Neighborhood Alliance yearly yearly deals. So, I mean, that's, oh. it was quite good. Well, I guess um, Kareem, who was the moderator, is getting, he said he's getting recognized a bunch um, around <laughs> town from people seeing the, you know, the video on Facebook or YouTube. Mm -hmm. So, like, wow, I, I think that's good because things like that, you know, there's a, a group of people who go to them, but it might be the same group year after year after year. Mm -hmm. So it's really nice to be able to expand that a little bit more um, into just, you know, people who might be intimidated to yeah. walk into a neighborhood alliance meeting or, or into a candidate forum or, you know, just various things like that. So, and just more accessible too, for people yeah. who can't get out of the house for whatever reason. Yeah, I think of moms at home or parents, you know, with little kids, like it's hard to get out in the evening sometimes. So and it's very much a a lot of these activities very much feel like they are they are within a particular social circle. And that's kind of it. Right. You may have a couple of folks that that see or hear or are aware of the of the event and, and gravitate towards it because of their general interest. But for the most part, Right, it's it's very targeted at, at, a, at a single audience, whoever may be hosting that, and the social group that already is kind of attached to that. So when you start mm -hmm. to filter out that media through different, more public uh, uh, platforms, right, where where somebody sees it coming from the library and they go, oh well, yeah, it's the library. Of course, I can check that out. I don't feel like I'm off put or like I'm not allowed to be there because I get to participate with the library and the partners that they're working with on something. Right. Yeah, I completely agree. I mean, even like I've been here for 15 years, like I was saying, and I've learned about all these different groups this past year. I've actually joined a few. I'm like, oh, wow, this is super interesting. Uh, you've got these natural segues, and I love it so much. It is uh, it's so good. Um, so so outside of Rotary, which you were talking about having just recently joined, is there are there other yes. groups that you've gotten involved in as well? Um, I just joined the... Uh, AAUW, the American Association of University Women. Mm -hmm. I actually just paid my dues today, so I'm a brand new member there. And I joined the UNA USA group. They have some really interesting speakers as well, so mm -hmm. just to be able to go and listen. I'd like to join the NAACP, but I haven't quite gotten there yet. I'm also... I'm like, okay, I have a little bit of break in my life because my <laughs> our foster son left. So uh -huh. I don't have a, I just have one small child. So I've been like filling up my time, but I know that like we will likely have another child come mm -hmm. live with us at some point. So I'm like, don't want to over, like overbook it, I mm -hmm. guess. But the cool thing is I can do it as part of my job. Yeah. So part of my job is just 
outreach and um, like this counts and, you know, <laughs> going to meetings and yeah. <laughs> Mark it up. This is work. I feel good. Right. No. Exactly. <laughs> Thank you, Diane. No, I'm just. Well, <laughs> I mean, board. I, okay, Sorry. I didn't completely run that by her, but I did tell her I was coming and I would be discussing the library. So I feel like that does actually count. So <laughs> you're like, look deep into the camera and let them know. Yeah. This now. <laughs> you know, and it's, it's, it's nice. There, there are so many there are there are so many components to this WTF Carbondale brand. And some people can't stand it completely. And anything that's got the stamp on it, they just walk away from. And that's that's fine. But I, I appreciate a lot of the folks that that recognize the different silos that this all exists and occurs in. Of what the podcast is, what the group is, what the page is, what uh, you know products that that I'll come out with at a later point in time are, and um, that that there's enough people that that have paid attention and seen. Uh, the podcast specifically, they're like, oh, I, I feel comfortable uh, allowing for there, there to be a, a conversation a, about something um, like work or something like an organization that I'm associated with. Like people people get that. And I appreciate you for kind of get, getting that, that feeling and understanding of the podcast as well. Yeah, no problem. I was, you know, happy to be asked to do it. So <laughs> <laughs> the, the booking, the, like I just... The, the booking is probably the toughest part of all this because I'm just like, all right, a lot of interesting people. I just got to ask a lot of people and hope that some folks will be available and understand that some folks it'll be three months from now and we'll just kind of come together. So right. I, I appreciate you being relatively uh, quickly available uh, yeah. you know, a week of outreach. Well, so. I get I get anxious about things that I have on my to-do list. Uh, so I prefer to just go ahead and check them off as quickly as possible and not have <laughs> things just like looming that I need, you know, like, oh, yeah, I'm going to have to do that. And yeah, so I kind of I dread things. Good. In a way, yeah, but um, they always turn out to be okay, or for the most part, so I don't know why. It's just like my personality, I suppose. I'm like a real pessimist, but... <laughs> I, I would I would say uh, we've all been conditioned to just live a life of worry at this point. Right, that's probably true. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, so yeah, I, think, I think you're more normal than not on, <laughs> on that side of things. Not, yeah, it does usually leave me with a nice, like feeling of relief when I finish things and I'm like, wow, that just wasn't that bad. Yeah. So, yeah. That's a good, that's a good mindset to, to have about things, which the, so, so I was interested as well. You know, I, I hadn't really uh, connected on, on the rotary side of things, but mm -hmm. having reached out to some rotary folks and, and wanting to get some perspective on, on rotary as, you know, as a longstanding, uh, you know, service organization and, and social group in, in Carbondale, when I realized that, oh, Jennifer is now part of uh, the uh, the the breakfast rotary. I was like mm -hmm. a fresh perspective on everything. Yes. How how did you how did you get drawn into rotary first? If you don't mind me asking. Um, I don't. Uh, I had kind of seen you know Facebook posts about people doing stuff in it for a while. I always it seemed kind of um, mysterious. Like, how do you get involved in Rotary? I, I like saw stuff like you have to be invited. And, you know, so I feel like that's a little bit like, oh, how do you, you know, do you have to just go? I don't know. It just seemed kind of like a mysterious process to yeah. me of like being invited to Rotary. So, um, but I thought it was like the work that they do seems interesting. And um, yeah, it's just, it's nice to do some service um just aside from from work and from everything else, just yeah. to get out in the community a little bit. So 
I think uh, Liz Hunter posted something about it on Facebook. Like she really enjoyed her morning Rotary Club mm -hmm. and really um, likes, I, I don't remember exactly what she said, but just that it was a great part of her week every week and she really enjoyed it. And if anybody was ever interested to let her know. So I just sent her a message and was like, you know, I'm, I'm kind of interested. And, and so they invited me to come to just check it out. And so at that point, it was just maybe in January or, or February, probably January. Yeah. It was all on Zoom. So um, I joined their Zoom meeting and, yeah, I just liked it. I, they do speakers every week and um, got quickly involved in some of the volunteering stuff. <laughs> and, yeah, they pull you in. <laughs> I believe that. I believe that. Are you, are you doing a Saturday morning trash I haven't right done that yet. Right. Um, yeah, the the last time it's only been a couple times. I think they do it every month. Is it monthly? It's okay, monthly, right. so it's not every Saturday. But I I do work at the library some weekends. That makes sense. Yeah, they have some <laughs> programs, and then we rotate librarians on the weekends. So I think I've had to work, or yeah, something's been going on. But I did participate in the um, the beautiful Southern bike ride mm -hmm. which is fun we were at one of the rest stops nice. and I brought Malcolm and my son Coleman so they came with me and we just sat there and waited for the cyclists to come through and gave them some <laughs> beverages and then they were gone and our job was over so <laughs> nice. it was pretty easy not, not too bad yeah that's that's one of the things about you know any kind of volunteerism stuff especially being in in you know the the kind of organizational uh groups is that you know there's there's structure to it so the mm -hmm. the ask for the lift is not necessarily a can you conceptualize this from scratch and then please carry it through to fruition it's kind of like can you hand out some water bottles all right that's that's more manageable right <laughs> yes it definitely builds year after year mm -hmm. so i know that you know they do start some new things and and there will be a committee but there's lots of committees and yeah. So you're not really having to do anything entirely alone. And yeah, so that is kind of nice. I think I was just recently elected to the director of youth services for this next year. So nice. we'll see. I guess I think it sounds great. I think that, but I have no idea what it's going to consist of. So it, pro it probably, yeah, and I was thinking, I was like, oh man, they're probably gonna, gonna lean on you for programming at some point in time. This sounds like something that could definitely be a, a youth programming connection no right. doubt you know, they have a club at the high school so I? I think there's a club at the high school so it might have to do with kind of coordinating that and they are and, and that is part of mm, the um you know i i, I oh, shucks i'm gonna forget all of it now and this was part of doing the rotary series to be able to have this knowledge to continue <laughs> the discussion but neither here nor there um the um that they've got some of these different Rotary Youth programs, one that's like a year-long travel abroad, but the other that's like a weekend uh, leadership development type deal. And I've known okay. a, a handful of the, the folks in recent years that have gone through that, uh, okay. some folks that have been neighbors and some and some uh, you know high school seniors that I've just gotten mm -hmm. to know through uh, their active involvement. It's it's really it's neat stuff. Like they're they're yeah. really they're really putting back in with with these kids and giving them this opportunity so right yeah 
Yeah, that sounds great. So hopefully I'll have something to do with that, right? <laughs> no, the um, the previous director is going to help me. So they're not just going to be hanging me out to dry. and That's just Yeah. So, And there's also um, some of the members, or at least one was going to have a child that age, like high school age. And mm-hmm. so they'll probably help out as well. You so. already got somebody on the inside. Right. You don't even have to learn exactly. how to speak whatever generation high school kids are right now. <laughs> oh, gosh. <laughs> Yeah, we're definitely not there yet in my household, so. Yeah. <laughs> I, we're, 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 pushing, we're pushing 11 come July. And I'm, oh, wow. I'm, uh, I am outmatched. I'm just, I'm plainly outmatched in my household. I have, I have argued with my children to the point that they have become smarter than me <laughs> before they have be, been even presented enough knowledge to be smarter than me, and that's concerning. Uh. yeah yeah they seem to be able to do that and push all the buttons so yep yep absolutely well i the the other thing that you know that, that you were talking about that's a, again another another interesting component to to life is is being a foster parent is that right. is that something uh that you've been doing for for a while or was the was the child that you were working to foster um you know the the first opportunity you'd had to to foster a child uh, sure. um, we're actually in the process of renewing our license right now. So it has been almost four years mm-hmm. since we first started and we've had five kids in our house so far, but, oh, wow. um, most of them were, well, four of them were short term placements really. Mm-hmm. Um, this, the child who went home was a longer term placement. He was with us for almost three years. So, mm-hmm. um, yeah, it's, a. Uh, I would say it's more something that I felt pulled to do more mm-hmm. than uh, Malcolm necessarily, but he's a very supportive person yeah. and a very good father and loving father. So um, he, it's it's a scary thing to do in a way because you just you have no control and yeah, you just really have no control over the outcome. No. It's kind of a roller coaster. You don't know what's going to happen. But I don't know. It's just it definitely is something in my life that I feel just like most proud of most um, is most meaningful Mm -hmm. because I just really I like getting to know the families and we really got to know, you know, our foster son's family. And, um, you know, not everything was perfect all the time, but it. I don't know. It just it's a it's a good experience to help these kids and to just be able to be there for them um, at a time that is really hard for them. Mm-hmm. Like even if it feels hard for us, it's like <laughs> it's much harder for them. They're having yeah. to they're having their whole futures decided by some unknown judge and caseworkers, and so just to give them like a normal happy life during that time is like just feels special to me. So. Yeah. I want to keep doing it. We um, we're on a we're taking a break because it was all very intense and emotional and mm-hmm. hard. I would say, um, but I I think we'll we'll probably like we're renewing our license and after we have some time to process and <laughs> yeah we'll yeah. Uh, we'll probably say yes again. So well, I can imagine the 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 personality trait of, of, of the anxiousness to work through and, and, you know, meet a project where it is and then, and then work towards, 
uh, you know, just, just being involved in, and being comfortable with whatever timeline is attached to that, right? That when, when the time is, is decided, you know, I won't necessarily say right, because I'm sure you can't ever say that, you know, a, a shift in, in, uh, you know, foster status is, is ever right for, for somebody, but that, uh, that that's just simply having that mindset and being able to, to, <laughs> to live through that feeling makes you a, a very capable foster parent. Right. Yeah, definitely. It definitely is super uncomfortable to be in those moments, yeah. but I think it is like, personally, I just think it's important to be uncomfortable sometimes yeah. just in life. Cause like those really hard moments are, you know, that's where you learn and grow. And mm-hmm. so, yeah. And I just think there needs to be different types of foster families out there. Like you don't have to devote your whole life to it. Mm-hmm. You don't have to, you know, take in six kids. You don't have to, you can do it the way that it fits your life yeah. and your family. But, um, yeah, but I, I don't think it should all just be like super religious people or just like, just, it should be a variety yeah. of people within our society who are kind of helping these kids and, and, and actually it is kind of that way. I mean, I know I've been at foster parenting meetings with like, you know, Mennonites and there's, you know, we're at a church. So there's some people that are very religious mm-hmm. and there's same sex couples. And so it is kind of an interesting community to be a part of as well. And yeah, so when I'm not, you know, working and I'm like telling Malcolm, let's take this class on trauma. And he's like, <laughs> like you do have to do a certain amount of uh, continuing education credits, but mm-hmm. like I'm over mine and I'm still like, <laughs> more. Knowledge, I'm just going to take another class just in case, you know, <laughs> but it does help. Cause then in the moment, if you're in a hard situation, then you, you know, better what to do and you can handle it. <laughs> so we, um, we had mainly fostered newborns. Mm-hmm. So that seems like it would be easier, but they still experience trauma. And oh, yeah. yeah, they're still taken away from their families and, and can have a hard time. And as they get bigger, you know, there's it's just a it's a confusing thing for them, I think. So well, I can't imagine the 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 difficulty for communication at that at that uh, at that age. Uh, and at that point with the, with the influence of trauma in a life, right. That so much, uh, of just what, how we're able to interact with the world around us is how the world has interacted with us up to that point in our lives. So for a child with a short life and, and, you know, limited, uh, you know, uh, you know, I, I don't even know how to refer to, uh, deve- you know, limited components to their development, mm-hmm. right? That, that that could be, that that could be tough, you know, both on a foster parent and, and the child just the same. Right. Yeah. And, and definitely, it definitely can be tough, but it's just um, being able to, I don't know, kids get in foster care can get moved around a ton. Mm-hmm. So like just being able to say like, we're not going to, you're not going to go anywhere. Like we'll be the only family and like you can lessen some of those effects as much as possible. Mm -hmm. So that, that's my goal is like, we can't control the outcome. It's not always what we would decide personally, but I'm so glad I'm not making that decision because I'm completely biased and (laughs) you know, it's just not, 
obviously I can't be making that decision. So yeah. I mean, there's, there's, there's a lot of, there's a lot of it and it's, and it's not to say that a, that a heartless and, and, you know, emotionless system should be strictly the way that we make these decisions, but also, you know, being, you know, wanting to make decisions from emotional standpoints and ties to the concern for another human being also make it difficult to, to just move anything forward in a particular direction. Right. And it's right. finding that happy balance of having somebody that, has proper amounts of empathy and work mm -hmm. ethic to put into, uh, you know, while at the same time the system is on the other side going, no, oh, this is what this paperwork says, so this is what we do. Right, yeah. Yeah, and there are definitely a lot of foster families out there who are doing a lot more than we are with, you know, more kids and just more advocacy and more everything. But I feel like we can do a little and... Yeah. yeah. So and I, th I think this is a, a normalizing conversation here that, you know, some folks may not understand that they're allowed to participate in this system at the level that's comfortable for them. Right. Yeah. You have lots of, um, you can make quite a few decisions. I mean, you can decide, well, you can say no anytime you can, um, <laughs> yeah, you can choose ages and I mean, that sounds bad. Like you have to kind of have a, a range yeah. and like we were mainly fostering children younger than my biological son, mm -hmm. who is, he was four when we first got our license. So mm -hmm. it was a pretty limited age range. And mm -hmm. that was just because that is like what we had experienced parenting <laughs> so mm -hmm. far. So we were like, well, I feel like we can, we can handle that age group because we've already done it one time. Yeah. And we don't really want to go outside of what our experience has been mm -hmm. and not that it would be bad to take an older child, but then we wouldn't have any like reference point of like, well, yeah. what do normal toddlers do who haven't experienced trauma or, you know? So it definitely, it gave us a little bit of yeah, like a guideline and now he's eight. So we're going to move into a bit of an older age, um, maybe more like younger school age children mm -hmm. for a little while. Cause Taking care of newborns, just, you know, one after another. We only had two in a row, but mm -hmm. it was still like we were very tired oh, <laughs> for yeah. a while. We're getting older. And <laughs> <laughs> I was also getting my master's degree during that time when we first started. Mm -hmm. So it was like going to school and then, you know, not sleeping much. And um, I don't know, leaving Malcolm downstairs with the baby and going upstairs and doing my class and you know our four-year-old would start crying too and it's like everybody's crying and just like oh boy what is going on here why are I'm we doing crying this you're crying and i'm crying because they're crying and now you're crying because yep yeah exactly so, <laughs> Contagious like cries. um i'm gonna just put you guys on mute here because my house is <laughs> uh, well, yeah. this is this is a little bit more of a of a uh, you know, national conversation piece, but I, I think you've, you've spoken to so many different components that, uh, you know, have, have been a particular barrier for mothers and working mothers in this country, you know, not just for, you know, the past, you know, decades and, and centuries, right? But yeah. since, um, you know, just this past year specifically and, and what it has done to uh, the gains that women have made for themselves. Uh, you know, specifically we're talking about, you know, finding a finding a career and being involved in, um, you know, the activities that you want to be involved in, pursuing the education that you want to do and these things being uh, a, a threat 
to that, just statistically speaking. I mean, right. what, where, I, I thought I had a specific question coming <laughs> into this, but really what I was just wanting to open it up to was your expressions on uh, where you feel like you're, you're at uh, and, and how your story ties into the, uh, a very significant national conversation right now. Yeah. Well, I think that you just have to decide that you're going to do it and just be like kind of ruthless about it. Like I'm just going to do it and I'm going to be gone at this time and stop trying to take care of everybody and everything all the time and let some other people help, which can be really hard for people. You know, I'm terrible at accepting help or asking for help, (laughs) but I've gotten better about it. Mm -hmm. Uh, Also just having support is super helpful and, I mean, some people just don't have that. And Mm -hmm. so I think that would be really hard. My mom actually moved here a couple of years ago. So, yeah, it's great. Uh, She was in Texas and she retired and now she's here. So she doesn't she doesn't want to babysit all the time. Like she's not going to just she's like, I'm retired now. I have other stuff I want to do. She bought an old house and she's fixing it up. And but she does help out sometimes like regularly so that's that's really helpful and especially with fostering too because there's a lot of extra like meetings and just stuff that goes along with that so Mm -hmm. having uh, just that extra support and definitely um, a partner who is helpful and willing to do his fair share and you know I'm thinking about like what you're saying this national conversation and I think it's been talked about a lot lately like the emotional labor that women Mm -hmm. do and um and that still definitely is there like even if you have a really great partner I mean I'm not just gonna say 100% of the time but it is kind of I think (laughs) women are just taught that when they're growing up more so than men are generally so trying to to get men and and like for me teaching my son Mm -hmm. how to recognize those things like you know, to pick up just that, the, the slack there of like, how, how can I help in this situation? And, um, but yeah, definitely having a supportive partner. I I don't think I would have been able to do it all without him. And I know single moms do find a way. And I just think they're amazing because (laughs) it's hard even with, with a partner. So it's, I, my wife has simply picked up a third child. I didn't, um, I, I'm not, I, I, am, I am an, I am an awful, um, partner, um, but we're, hey, at know, least you're honest. honest. Do what? At least you're honest yeah, no, about I just, it. I gotta, right? I, gotta, I gotta, I gotta be out there about it. I'm a, we're, 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 we're a very, um, uh, we're a very active household. So everybody just kind of like splits their own way and kind of runs off and we come back together at, at night and everybody's just kind of happy under the roof and we work it out. The, mm-hmm. uh, the grandparent thing too, when I, when I talked to, uh, Catherine, Kathy uh, feel a little bit about this and and just about you know what what the value of, of having a you know even just one grandparent there for for somebody and and what that does comparative to you know somebody who may just have a, a situation with a single partner or no partner at all and and you know the the failure of the system to provide any sort of support to right. folks and it's just it's really really frustrating that that's just not there yeah affordable child care or whatnot so yeah it, it is hard I think um 
I didn't grow up around my grandparents. Mm -hmm. uh, my, my parents moved around a bit when I was a child. So I was born in Colorado and then we moved to Alaska. Wow. And <laughs> I, in Alaska, my, my dad's family, his sister and his parents, all they all moved there as well. So mm -hmm. like our whole family kind of moved there. And even some of my mom's side of the family moved there. So it was really wonderful. Like we had all this family around, but it was cold and rainy and mm -hmm. <laughs> I don't know. It just we didn't want to live there forever, I guess. I don't know. I was pretty little. I was eight when we moved. So how do you get from Alaska to Texas? Well, in between <laughs> there was uh, Washington DC for a couple of years. Um, and then Nebraska. My dad worked in uh, colleges and universities. Like oh, okay. Mainly, mostly universities. He's, he's an administrator, so. Does that make Carbondale feel like a fit? It does, actually. I think it really might be one of the reasons why I'm very comfortable here, yeah. is that I've always, we've always followed, you know, universities, and he worked at the University of Nebraska when I was uh, high school, and younger than that, I, I graduated from high school there, and then, few years later he got a job in texas i was going to school in florida and i decided to move back to texas be closer to my family they were actually divorcing so i was like i'll just i'll just go be closer to family while all this is <laughs> happening and I actually yeah. finished my degree in san antonio uh, so yeah so i was there before here and so this is one of the longest longest periods that I've lived somewhere really yeah. that's that's crazy I mean that's I, I I that perspective is completely the opposite of the perspective that I have on life as somebody who's a, a townie and like generational right mm -hmm. like I'm I, I seldom step foot out of city it's like that's just kind of uh, kind of the life that I've that I've lived. So I'm I'm really interested in, and we're we're just a little over the hour mark, but I can't help but spend five minutes or so as we close out. Wow, um, went by fast. Having do what? <laughs> I said it went by fast. Oh yeah, it it it, it flies. It flies. <laughs> it really does. Just because your uh, folks that I am lucky enough to have on, just like yourself, they're all very live interesting lives and are very good at just talking and and telling a story, and it kind of comes out uh, comes out quite well. But um, Having having experienced uh, a lot of different places and a lot of different ways at a lot of different points in your life, uh, it, do you do you do you look at Carbondale and go, oh, this is this is actually a pretty decent little place with some cool amenities and a, and a decent life to live versus some of the other mindset that's very much, uh, I got to get out of Carbondale and I got this and that. And I, and I, don't get me wrong, a lot of folks I grew up with had that same mindset, got to right. go, and then a lot of folks end up coming back but right, um, they don't necessarily have as much of an outsider perspective mm -hmm. as you may have with the uh, number of places you've actually gotten to experience as a place where you live not just a place where you visit yes um i definitely am in the pro carbondale column i i really like it here and it's not i feel like it's a choice to be yeah. here i mean if i wanted to leave i would leave and i I think about leaving sometimes, but I think it's partially because my brain is wired that way oh, from yeah. moving so many times. And my parents moved a lot when they were kids. So like, our, it just must be like somewhere in me is like, it's time to leave. Like we need to, you know, let's explore somewhere else. But I think there's some real value to staying in one place mm -hmm. and really getting to know it. I love the community here and I feel like I'm just getting 
just getting to know more and more people and mm -hmm. you know the more you know the more you realize you don't know so oh my gosh <laughs> <laughs> yeah but and the outdoors it just seems like it's a great place to raise kids we love to go on hikes and just mm -hmm. to explore the whole region of southern illinois so yeah i re i like it here i mean things could always change in the future if there was a problem with the job and i wasn't employed or you know mm -hmm. something like that i could see myself looking elsewhere but as long as I'm employed here and, you know, it's just, it's a nice place to raise a family, yeah. I think. So, yeah. And Malcolm loves it. He's been here since college and, you know, isn't really wanting to move, like even houses. So <laughs> <laughs> he's very much like a he's content, you know, kind mm -hmm. of person. And I'm like, well, so we, we can do some compromises, which is, it's a good balance to have in a relationship. That's good. Yeah. That's good. No, I, uh, I can appreciate that. Um, and that's, this is a conversation I've appreciated just all, all around um, for episode 62 of the WTF Carbondale podcast, where I tried to ask at least one difficult question this time that I couldn't even get out of my own mouth, but because Jennifer <laughs> knows exactly uh, how to think and how to talk about things, she was able to carry the conversation for me. So um, have a good one, folks, whatever that one may be.